How might you go about finding stocks you could hold for the indefinite future? Stocks whose companies are so strong, so profitable, so clear about their business model, that barring some fairly dramatic turn of events, you could feel great about owning them for the long haul. Stay tuned as our own Roshan Lungani gives part one of his two-part deep dive for finding such stocks right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm Eric Olson, along with my two co-hosts, Adrian Nicholson and Roshan Lungani. We have a great topic for you today. This is a follow-on to the discussion we had last week about factor-based investing. Today, we get to approach the question of investment selection from an entirely different angle, and that is using Roshan's approach, which is to do deep dives on individual stocks to understand how he can curate a portfolio of truly exceptional companies. This differs from the other approaches that we've talked about in previous episodes, not just last week's, but in uh, other episodes as well, looking at everything from broad-based, what we call modern portfolio theory. That's the sort of familiar investing approach where you have a pie chart and an allocation and you buy and you hold. Then last week, we talked about factor-based investing, where it's more of a an assessment quantitatively of fundamental and technical features of companies and their stocks. We've also talked about alternative investments, and today then we get to think about how do you look uh, at an individual company and ascertain whether the odds are that company could do wonderful things in your portfolio or not so much. And insofar as it's featuring our own Roshan Lungani, I think this is, this is exciting because de- Roshan is definitely a student of the game. So gentlemen, um, are you ready to go? Adrian, are you up for this? Yes, I'm up for this and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm always excited to hear about new investing style and approaches. So I'm really excited to hear what you have to say today, Roshan, and just any questions that we have along the way. So I'm ready to get right into it. Yeah, and any any feedback, any ideas, any ways to improve it, I'm open to, to all of it. I'll first start off by talking about, you know, what I'm looking for ideally is uh is a stock I can buy and hold forever. So a lot of times uh, in the industry, they'll call them compounders, companies that are just growing so much. And in theory, they can keep growing. And until they stop, you can just hold on to them forever. Now, the other side of that, though, is you also want to buy them at a good price. So that's what makes it tough, is finding a combination of those, those two things, the growth and the, and the good price. So I will uh look anywhere for investment ideas so i will be constantly reading uh looking at what other investors are doing listening to podcasts and today we'll talk about a screening tool so we'll talk about screening because i've definitely found ideas through that process of, of screening so i've i have a lot of different screens that i'll that i'll look at but i'll start with one and i'd love any thoughts or feedback on these things that you guys have, but with screening, this is uh, not to find, this is not going to give me the stocks to invest in. What this will do is tell me where to spend my time because you're going to spend a lot of time researching companies or looking at companies that don't, that you don't end up investing in. So when I'm looking at screening, I want criteria in there to help me manage my time, but I also uh, am not going to just say, oh, this showed up in the screen. Let's go. Let's go buy this. So I've intentionally left some of these screens broad enough for things that, that so that I don't I don't miss something, because if it doesn't fit the screening criteria exactly, it's not going to show up. And maybe that was a, a great investment opportunity I missed on. So I'll look at uh size of the company. And once again, I'm trying to look for things that are a little bit better than what I'm screening for. So uh, market cap wise, I'm looking for companies 
that are a billion or plus in value, that is considered mid, but also in the small space. Uh, and there are definitely times where I'll look at even look a little bit smaller than that. But what I found is that anything I'm looking for there um, in the uh, in the size company size, if it's smaller, I'm not able to buy a position in it. The other thing I do also like to look for are companies where I can potentially write covered calls on. So if you get much smaller than that, you either they don't have the options available for calls or they have such low volumes and such uh, big spreads that you're not able to actually implement on that. Roshan, I can understand why you'd say that you you want to look for things where you can write calls. I I wasn't sure I followed you when you said that you couldn't take a position in a in a stock that's under a billion. What explain that? Well, so uh, similar to what I said with the with the calls of buying buying um, shares in those companies, you'll get pretty big spreads and you might get lower volumes. So if I'm buying this for a lot of my clients at once, it may be a big order. And I just may not be either able to either get in or get out quickly enough. I remember about uh, 10 years ago, I wish I could remember what their stock symbol was. I was buying into this one stock uh, for my clients. And anytime I would get in, it would move the price. And then I needed to get out of that position. And it took me months to get out just because of the of the trading volume so a billion uh might be a little uh a little larger i might be able to go a little bit smaller on that but uh, and i i may even look into that after after this to just to compare how many i'm sh are showing up in the smaller space but with the spreads on the options and with with lower volumes and larger spreads on the share price sometimes i've just found that it's it's too small i like the more mid cap than because I, I also as i mentioned i have multiple screens so this one i'm using is one of my favorites and the the uh one of those screens i have will start at a hundred million so that'll be the high end of the micro cap space where mm -hmm. uh, i'm and the low end of the small cap space whereas this billion puts you in the high end of the small cap companies and the low end of the mid cap companies now, this is a question that's going to be more of interest to some of those trading-oriented financial advisors that are listening to the show. Mm -hmm. I, 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 so I, I, I will just ask this question. If you could find, I mean, as you've looked at the companies under that billion-dollar mark, maybe moving down closer to that $100 million mark, are you kind of kicking yourself going, man, that would be a beautiful, on, on every other level, except for its, its illiquidity, I'd love to own that. It's just, it's a perfect fit for the strategy or not so much. Not, there's nothing that necessarily uh, would distinguish those um, in terms of the concentration of the fishing pool in that, in that size category. If when I run out of companies to research in my current criteria, mm -hmm. I will then expand. Uh, and I have not necessarily had that problem now. Now, I, okay. as I did, I did, I do use other screens that'll look at look at other companies because there's times where you know this one screen will I'll look at everything on the list and I'll say, oh, I, I really can't find anything to spend my time on. Mm -hmm. After the market decline last year, I, I with the multiple screens I have and those other sources, I said I look for ideas. Uh, I haven't had the issue where it's just like, oh, I don't have a company to look into. But that would be my step to expand the criteria and not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So I have 10 different screens that I'll look at. We're just reviewing one, but they're all, the intent is all the same. Just give me a company that I can deep dive on. Um, but with those 10 screens along with, uh, and there are overlap, by the way, of companies I'll find within those, within the screens, but within those 10 screens, as well as just regular day-to-day -day, um uh what i guess is called research and analysis but you know three of us being finance nerds it's just what i like to spend my time doing but whether it's from reading uh you know the variety of financial uh resources and websites to listening to a variety of different financial podcasts and, and shows i ha have enough so this is just a funnel to give you ideas to look into and there's enough in the funnel where i i really haven't uh, had to go hunting outside of it. Okay. Can I ask another question? Yes. 
So you said, uh, so leaving aside the size then and thinking just about the screens that you apply, I have a question about what precedes the, the choice of screens. So do you have some sort of ideation process where you, you say, I think that would be a useful screen and, and that gets brought into the mix. And, and if so, how, what, what, uh, what do you use as inputs into your thinking and creativity to decide which screens you want to use in the first place? Yeah. So they're similar, but they're from different sources. So just to give you two examples, as I was looking at the list of the screens, um, I had read uh, uh, Buffett's book in, uh, or the book on Buffett, Interpretation of Financial Statements. And they talk about his criteria. I took notes on everything he said, and then I made a screen, right? Mm. And there's another one in here that's also uh, uh, based on a book called uh, 100 Bagger. That's uh, a book we talked about on here, actually, last year on our podcast. I like the book. I built a screen around it. So, so and, and the one we're reviewing today, um, there's another one I read years ago, Acquirers Multiple. Same thing, built a screen around it. The one we're reviewing today takes what I like from those screens. And once again, the intent is to, yes, screen out companies that I don't want to invest in. But at the same time, I want to get this pool as big as possible so then I can select what to research. I'm trying to I mean, I, avoid eliminating things that may be cl- a close fit, but not an exact fit. Well, what strikes me is, is that the, the approach that you use is so time and labor intensive. So I would think you'd want to, you would actually be delighted to have some screens that would, would sharply narrow at least the initial um, set of companies that you'd be looking at. You did, but you didn't say that you, you like it to have a more open net, if you will. Well, then I'll sort it, right? So let me go through the criteria and I'm writing on my notes because I didn't about the uh, sorting that I'll do next to look at companies Mm -hmm. uh, at the end and and we'll go over that. But yes, I guess I use the screens to narrow the companies. I'll then use the sort and then other tools of analysis before I deep dive. Mm, Okay. Well, yeah, uh, thanks for uh, entertaining my questions. And if you're thinking, that's a stupid question, you can just say that and we can move on. <laughs> I don't think it is, but I know you well okay. enough, or you know I would if I thought. If I okay, thought. <laughs> that's great. I just, love it. Uh, nothing going like... back to the time allocation, because I know that's huge when it comes to just researching companies. I mean, it's got to be just frustrating sometimes where you just spend a lot of time on a particular company and then you're like, all right, it's not a good fit. And I just could use that time somewhere else. And it might just go with market capitalization as well, but do you tend to spend similar time on each company? I'm assuming it's probably different when it comes to market size. I got to imagine that plays a big role in it where these big companies out here have a lot of information, a lot of statements to go through, a lot of news around them compared to, let's just say, a smaller company that doesn't have a lot going on. Their business model is pretty straightforward. So when it comes to like time allocation efficiency, do you see that happening with just the market size of a particular company? Yeah, what you said uh, towards the end, business model, that's where I find the differences, right? Because I want to understand the business. And a lot of the bigger companies will have so many businesses within what they're doing that it just takes more more time uh, to understand them. Your other statement about, about time wasted, I've evolved my thoughts on that over time because at the beginning, uh, and when I say at the beginning, I'm thinking you know, 20 years ago, I would spend a lot of time researching something and then I'd be pretty frustrated that you know, it didn't work out. Well, now uh, I, I view it as, one progress and understanding i've heard multiple people say you know investment investing is a cumulative business the reason you know buffett can make a decision so quickly is because he has so many years of investing there's another story i don't know if it's true or not but uh i'll butcher it a little bit but there's a story that you know picasso someone sees picasso somewhere and they say hey can you draw a quick picture of me he draws a picture in like 30 seconds and he said he gives it to him and he's like all right that'll be 50 grand you know, something like that. And they're, they're like, that took you 30 seconds. He's like, no, it's taken a lifetime for me to be able to draw that. And so that's the way I, that's, so that's my shifting in thought is that it's all, it's all valuable in learning, but there have been times where weeks and months have been spent on studying and, and understanding a company or a business. And then we just, we don't end up investing in it. So that, that's I just also part, of, believe, part of the deal. 
It's also just the filter approach, the screen approach. Also, with our last podcast on the factor base that we went over with Eric, it seems to my understanding, one of the most important things is having some filter or some type of criteria where you can funnel all these different investments because we know the universe of investing is just massive. Just having this well-developed, battle-tested filter approach that can help you narrow it so you can really focus focus your time. That's kind of the theme I'm just really drawing from the last podcast and this one as well so far. The filter definitely helps with the way I'd view the factoring versus the screening a little bit, a little bit, or factoring, the way I view the factor-based investments a little bit different from what I'm discussing with the screen, and Eric, feel free to jump in, is when you select those factors, you end up with a list of companies to buy. When I go through the screen, you end up with, with uh, companies to research, right? So with, with the factor-based, your, your process is done and I think the diversification part of having, you know, 50 companies puts you in a position where, where you can be done at that point and you've diversified and, and you'll get uh, some outperformance, as Eric discussed last week. With mine, I am looking towards a little more concentrated approach to, for the ultimate investments you get. Um, and we'll go over uh, this further, but I'm looking for a, a company where I'll, I'll buy a minimum of 3% in a portfolio. So that means you'd have a max of 33 positions to, uh, 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 and the maximum can go higher, but I like to have at least 10 positions. So mm. I haven't looked at performance in comparison, but I would, I would wonder, Eric, if you'd feel comfortable running that screen and taking just 10 holdings out of it versus 50. And bringing it to just a ten holding mix, yeah, yeah, boy, that I, I personally wouldn't. Um, I, I wouldn't either. I've, I wouldn't uh-huh. either with with that with that approach. So I, I just I'm on the same page with you okay. on there, which is where the deep dive becomes very important, right? Mm-hmm. Is because I need to feel comfortable with the business, the business model, where the direction they're headed, management, all those different different uh, pieces of the company. Whereas with your with the factor approach, I wouldn't feel comfortable with uh, probably less than fifty companies. Mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting. So um, uh, this, I, I'm not saying that this is a problem for you, but it might be a problem for me. <laughs> if yeah. I had ten children versus fifty children, I'm. This is a very. This is. I know. Let's use it. Let's ahead. Nope. I want to hear it. This children. sounds like it'll be the most interesting part of the episode, Eric. Let's fin- finish that thought. <laughs> let's say that I had uh, that I had uh, ten cars in the driveway versus fifty cars in the driveway. I probably would not. Or bicycles. There's there's something. 10 bicycles versus 50 bicycles. If I lost a bicycle with 50, I'm probably not so, I'm not, I'm probably not so, you know, if somebody wants to buy it from me, sure, you can buy it from me. Whereas if I had only 10, I think there might, I, for me, at least there might be more of an emotional attachment to it. I've gotten to know this bicycle. I spent hours researching this bicycle. I don't want to, I don't want to let go of this bicycle. Does that happen to you? I could, uh... Do you have a love affair with certain of these stocks where it's making it so confirmation bias? Isn't that like the behavioral finance where you do all this research it, it, and it kind of confirms your bias on to buy this company and hold on to it? Or overconfidence. Time? Both overconfidence. of those biases could could exist, right? Well, mm-hmm. well, both, right? Confirmation, just looking for people that agree with me and overconfidence. I've done all this research and and I think it'll it'll work. I try to look at the data. So mm-hmm. I I can't say there aren't situations where you know i uh i i do look at a, a company and 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 really love what they're doing uh that happens all the time but to the point where i wouldn't be able to sell or wouldn't be able to objectively compare it to another one i don't think i'm that attached to it mm-hmm. so with your okay. with your bike analogy if someone walked in and said um you know i'll trade your 100 dollar bike for a 1000 dollar bike um, I'll make that trade. Right? Okay. <laughs> you, you know, okay. Or with cars. I, mean, I think I, I wanted to hear your children one first, but <laughs> yeah, trading realize, a child. This is, going, <laughs> this is going in a bad direction, I can tell already. Yeah, I, I think your filter worked. With <laughs> Guys, I'm going to so, move us on because we, we're well, 20 minutes in and I haven't even gone through the second of my screening tools yet. And I okay, want to go so, into some of the deep dive as well. So we we talked about ideation, then we talked about uh, screening. So we're in the screening, and then you're going to talk about sorting. 
Yeah, well, so yeah, yes. So, and then I'll talk about uh, the checklist I have when I'm researching. So, the okay. only screen part I've mentioned is is a billion dollar or larger company. Okay. Next, I want a company that has revenue growth. I'm looking for the last ten years over ten percent a year on average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then after that, so the their business is growing. I'm then looking at profitability, return on capital, and return on equity. Uh, depending on the company, I might lean towards one or the other, but if either one either one works, now um, I'm looking for 10% a year. So companies growing at a 10% a year, and they're profitable at at least 10% a year. So every year, you know, if you if you have a company that's a hundred dollar company, you made a 10% profitability, and this is a, a return a return number. So so bear with me. So you made 10 bucks is your return. Well, next year it grew 10%, so it's now worth 110. You get 10%. Well, now you've made 11 bucks. So I want these companies that are growing and growing in a profitable way versus just growing uh, and you know, deteriorating. The next thing I'm looking at is inside insider ownership. Uh, and I have a screen set at greater than 1%. So I want the insiders to own at least 1% of the company. But the larger, the more they own, the better. I think they're going to be more careful with their money than they will be with mine. And that's what that's what I'm looking for. Are they are they invested? Do they have skin in the game? I also uh, this isn't a screen tool, but I also like to look at uh, their activity when I'm researching it. Are they buying the stock? Are they selling the stock? Uh, if they're selling, it doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. But if they're buying, it's a really good thing, right? There are many reasons to sell, right? They could be selling to buy another home. They could be selling as a strategy to diversify their portfolios. It's only one reason to buy. They think they're going to make a lot of money when it goes up. So I do want some inside uh, ownership there. Now, that's my screen. I've got these other functions I will view uh, because they're valuable to me when I'm sorting. And these are all the valuation ratios. So I can see the price to earnings. Uh, I can see the price to earnings growth, uh, the earnings yield, which is uh, what Eric talked about last uh, last week, which is the inverse of the price to earnings ratio. So you can get rid of zeros as their your denominator. Um, the earnings uh, EV to EBIT earnings val- uh, enterprise value to earnings before interest and taxes at EV to EBIT enterprise value to uh, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. There are minor differences. The company type was, is where the difference will come in. But before depreciation and amortization, uh, that if you uh, listen to anything about Munger or read anything about him, he'll say that's a fake number because you will have to reinvest in the, in the business. The reason I look at it, uh, like to look at it though as well, is because, uh, and actually the book I mentioned earlier, The Acquirer's Multiple, that's a number that a lot of companies will use when they're buying out a company or taking them taking them private. If you look look um, uh, back to the leverage buyout days, that was the ratio they used. So I like to look at look at that and see that as well. So now Actually, I've got. Go ahead. There's decent research about those two. I I know that Munger and Buffett have just said you know you still have to pay the the, the interest. You yes. have to pay the taxes. So why do you care? But I mean, empirical research shows these are useful. These are useful um, ways of segmenting a universe of possible stocks. I, I don't I understand why they're so opposed to it. I completely agree uh, that it's useful. I now, my opinion on that is is it's not necessarily it. It's not the information you're looking for if if you're if you're wanting to buy and hold a stock forever, it would be useful information if you're trying to take over a company and use some form of leverage to do so. So a lot of these companies that we're, that, that I'm looking at, there will be a lot of small and medium-sized companies that, and, and they will get acquired, right? They will get acquired by a public firm. Go, we had one company last year that, that uh, got taken over by private equity. So I want to see these numbers, even though Buffett and Munger don't like them. And I, as I said, I think it's because they want to buy and hold forever mentality on their stocks. But I don't mind if I get a premium like the one I mentioned last year. Uh, and this is a totally luck of time, but it doubled in value in six weeks just because they got acquired. Right. So mm-hmm. 
and the acquirers are looking at these numbers. So that's, or I'm sorry, I said acquired. They went, they went private. They got acquired by a private equity, but the acquirers are looking at these numbers. So I want to look at them too. And I think that an advantage an individual investor has over a Buffett and Munger is they can buy these smaller companies. Buffett's been famous for saying if he had only a million dollars to invest, he could uh, grow his portfolio 50% a year. And the big difference is he can buy these smaller companies that he can't buy right now. So that's the screening tools. I'm just going to run through it one more time, and then I'll go into the sorting. So market cap over a billion, growth, revenue growth over 10%, profitability with return on capital or return on equity. I'll look at either or of over 10%. Insider ownership greater than 1%. And then I want to be able to see the price to earnings, the price earnings growth or peg ratio, the earnings yield, which is the inverse of price to earnings, uh, enterprise value, EV to EBIT, enterprise value to earnings before interest and taxes, and enterprise value to earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, so EBITDA. Then I'll sort. And what I'll do when I'll sort it, I'll most frequently, I'll, I'll change what I'm sorting by. So it's not always the same thing, but most frequently I start with sorting by either the return on um, capital or return on equity. Because what I want to see first are what companies are growing most profitably right? So where, where are they? And I won't just take that first company then and invest in, and and, excuse me, invest and research that company. My next step will be, I'm looking down my list sorted by the return on capital, and I'm looking at my various valuation ratios. So I want to find something that's got a good return on capital number, but is also selling at a cheap price, which is where my valuation ratios come into play. I don't screen those because just using PE and peg ratio, for example, a high PE ratio is okay if the growth will justify it. So if I sort just by PE, I lose that. If I sort by price earnings growth ratio, uh, I'll lose companies with a high earnings yield, which would be a company that maybe they had one year where they didn't, they didn't have good earnings. Maybe something happened, but I still want to research it. And same thing with uh, EV to EBITDA or EV to EBIT numbers is if, if, a, if a company has a higher number than I'll typically look at right now, but they're growing rapidly, it'll, it'll be worth my time to look at. So there's, we're getting to the point where it's not just systematic screening where you've got to uh, do some, have some opinion on it and some thoughts behind what your what companies to look into eric you had a question yeah so on the various measures that you're using do you say i have both an absolute minimum standard but once they've satisfied that intermediate or that absolute minimum standard then i'm going to use apply some sort of weighting factor to see how they score across several of these factors so, for example, they may not have the very most attractive um, uh, earnings growth measure, but because they have a great peg ratio and they have got a great, let's say, uh, enterprise to EBITDA ratio, you'll because you weight them with you know maybe thirty percent on this and twenty percent on that, blah blah blah, it it still scores high. How do you how do you resolve those 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 different voices that each of those measures is speaking to to you with so i um i have done that before i don't do that all the time what Mm -hmm. i what i'll do is i'll look at the list and once again i'm trying to find a company that i want to deep dive if i'm looking at this list and a company to to do a deep dive into does not come up um then i'll use that sorting that that um ranking uh measure to figure out where to spend spend my time right now in this current environment i'm able to look down the list uh you know sorted by uh those uh profitability numbers and then look to the valuation and say hey here's a company i want to look more into so you what you have to accept when you're doing this is that your time is limited and you may miss an opportunity 
because you chose to look at a different a different company. And aside from accepting that as part of the part of the landscape, I have I've not come up with a any other any other option, right? Because the, the I mentioned that one stock that 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 doubled last year uh, in just a matter of six weeks. There's a very real possibility that I just wouldn't you know didn't look at that stock, right? Just because of time, maybe I was uh, getting deep into something something else. So there is going to be some situations where. You could argue that in that case, usually you don't have things move like that, right? Usually stocks move slower, so you have t- plenty of time to get to them. But there are situations where where that happens and you just miss the opportunity. I, honestly, half the time I don't even know because the next time I'm going to look for a screen, if it did that, it's not going to be on the list, right? So, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so now you've gone through the you've you've set up these screens. You've gone through a sorting process on them. You've reduced yeah. it to a universe of what size? What? How? How much are you? Because it's got to be a workable amount of companies that you can actually go and get their quarterly or annual reports or whatever other documents that you you use as part of your due diligence. How big a, a pool are you starting with for your research? So, uh, so, I, and I'm looking at this screen right now. And it says there are 96 stocks on the list. Hmm. And a- after that, I mentioned I sort it, and then I'll, I'll look through it. I'll sort it by that, that return number, and then I'll just look through it to find a company to, that I want to deep dive on. Hmm. So uh, the 96 partly answers your question of, um, uh, of how many are on the list, but Unless I can't find a company that I want to uh, to do a deep dive on relatively quickly with um, uh, with the you know, the sorting piece, then I would go through a rank. But as I said, I don't I don't necessarily have I have too many companies to deep dive in, which is sort mm-hmm. of the point you're getting at. Mm-hmm. But then when right. I start looking at those other ratios, like uh, uh, it narrows the list pretty quickly for companies i want to actually look into like I, I i did this in preparation for our podcast this morning and then my computer was acting up so i had to restart it so i don't have quite the uh the whole list in front of me but i'll tell you mm-hmm. it took me minutes to say hey i want to look into look into this company uh and now i haven't looked at that company because this happened right before right before the, <laughs> the podcast right but i'm looking at it now right ranked by um owners uh, ownership and uh and actually i i sorted that one when i was looking at it i haven't done a sort by uh earnings yield in a while so i actually did my sort by earnings yield uh as opposed to um and uh, give me one moment bear with me i'm i'm trying to find it again to tell you where it ranked but i did the sort by earnings yield and i think the uh company that i was looking at was ranked like fifth or sixth and i was saying oh i've seen this name before but i have not done a deep dive into it so i'm going to do that sort right now and it is uh it is like 10th on the list so Mm -hmm. i i didn't have to as i mentioned there are 96 holdings there are 20 uh per page so this tells me there's 40 pages to look at I only had to go down to number 10 and what got me there is all the other ones and it's actually number 12 all the other names on the list I have seen before and either done some deep dive on or uh have a uh w- there are a bunch of names that came up in the in the uh a home builder space I've done a deep dive in the industry. I've done a deep dive on multiple companies and I have uh, ownership in one of them, right? So as I'm looking through it, I thought, okay, I'm comfortable with the home builder space. Now I haven't looked at all of the names on their list, like four or five of them are done a deep dive on all of them. But because of that, I said, okay, I'd rather look in a different space than home builders. So the one that, the one that came up was a healthcare in the healthcare space. Well, now you've introduced another concept in here, which is that at times when you perform these screens for reasons that are less related necessarily to the company itself and more related mm-hmm. to the moment that that industry is in, yes. it could be that a lot of participants in that industry segment 
are scoring well. So do yes. you then say, therefore, I'm going to discipline myself to just make sure I have a, a selection from at least these different um, sectors. I'm just to take the best company or companies in each of these sectors. Or how do you approach that? Are you in or you do say, no, 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 I'm going to be agnostic about sectors. No, uh, so that sort of I, sector diversification. I, I, I don't have a hard and fast rule with how much can go into each sector. I'd like to, I'd like to keep it under twelve percent, and the, the thought being that's the most I'd want in a specific specific position. So that's kind of the most I'd want in a specific sector as well. But as you mentioned, it's it's very common that I'll see a lot in the same industry or sector. Uh, so like right now, I'm seeing. I've seen multiple companies in the home building space or businesses related to home builders. You know, they supply uh, lumber parts you know, for, for the home building process. I've seen a lot in the steel space. I've seen a lot in the RV or boating space as well. Right. So, so that's how I got down the list so quickly because uh, I've just covered with what I've described all but two companies in the top 11. So nine of the top 11 are in one of those three spaces. I actually should say eight of the top 11 are in one of those three spaces. So that that's how I so quickly got down to looking at number 11 and saying, hey, I want to research this. The other thing I'm looking at besides just the names is are those valuation ratios where that I'd mentioned earlier that I have just on, on a place where I can view them. So PE, PEG ratio, EV to EBITDA, earnings yield, and... Um, uh, and um, uh, EV to EBIT and EV to EBITDA and earnings yield. So those are all things I can view. So I, I'm sorting and then I'm looking across at those areas. And I, so I'm not eliminating companies that aren't cheap just because I like multiple metrics in that. What are what companies are cheap space? But I am eliminating them as I'm going down going down the list. So like just for for example. Um, the very first name on the list when I sort, sort by return on capital, which is typically what I'll sort for first, it's mm -hmm. got a great return on capital, but the PE is 73, the PEG ratio is 3, the EV to EBIT does 40, the, uh, the um, EV to EBIT is, I'm sorry, EV to EBIT's 40, the EV to EBIT does 39, and then the earnings yield is 2. So all of those metrics scream, yes, it might be a good business that's growing well, but they all scream expensive company to me. Mm -hmm. So eyeballing all those numbers, and for the listeners, I'm sorry I threw out all those all those numbers so quickly, but they're all just screaming out expensive. So it, it just scrolling down the list, like the second name on the list that comes up is something I've researched and owned. So as I'm sorting through the screeners, I can pretty quickly by looking at this ratio say those ratios say I don't want to spend additional additional time on it. Uh, because there's got to be something that's cheaper out there that's at a good price. Well, so two questions come to mind for me right now. One is uh, that you you have said numerous times that you're a Buffett fan. You you have said you probably know more Buffett quotes, uh, you know, than than most people out there. And I you've certainly probably. demonstrated that in the over the three years that we've been doing this show. Yeah. So um, to it, what you're talking about this the growth and the price elements are, are reminiscent of the munger buffett approach how do you uh how do you compare or contrast the approach that you use with at least to the extent that you understand it the approach that they would use i would say it's 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 very similar uh i am just i, I have i'm lucky enough because I'm unlucky enough at the same time, right? I'm lucky enough to look at smaller companies that they can't because I'm just not as big as them, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the, the lucky, the lucky part is I can, I, I definitely find things that aren't on their, on their list, uh, frequently, right? That they, that they can't. Uh, now, rarely they buy something that, that I buy and I, it does get me a little excited if I got there first, <laughs> which, which has happened, uh, as, as recently as, you know, six months ago, but, but uh, it, it's similar, right? I just say we're I'm I can get smaller companies that they can't, so I can actually get things that have somewhat more attractive numbers 
just because they're smaller. And what I mean by that is if you have a small company, if you have a company that's got a million in revenue, well, to grow 20%, they only need to grow 200,000. A company with a billion in revenue to grow 20% is going to go 200 million, right? So mm-hmm, I can find mm-hmm. my, my growth numbers that I'm looking for. I can find probably some things that, are, that, that they, they're not able to invest in because of size. Yes. They've uh, said their favorite holding period is to hold forever. The concept of what I'm looking for would be something that I can just buy and hold and it can just continue to grow over time. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have stocks that I bought and held you know, uh, forever because they usually do go up to their fair value or, or, or what I think is above. But that's the concept. So I think the screen is, is demonstrating that if I can find a company that's grown for you know, 10% a year for the last uh, decade, and then I can find, a, 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 and I think they're going to keep growing at that, at that pace, mm-hmm. that's something that if they keep doing that forever, I'd be happy to hold on to, assuming the stock price doesn't way outrun that growth. So the fair value, is that really the criteria where it comes to selling a position? Because when you say buy and hold forever, that's, you know, that's, that's fantastic. But, you know, it's reasonable to think that a small or medium sized company that meets your screen, your criteria, it does well, you buy, you hold it forever, goes up in stock price value, everybody's happy, it's great. But then like all companies, you know, there's gets to a point in time, not always, but sometimes where it just falls out of favor with some of your screenings. Their profitability doesn't look as good as it used to. Can you touch more on how a company may get filtered out that you've been holding on to for so long that has, let's just say, appreciated really well? How does that work where you have to remove it? Does something come along that looks better? So you just trade places. Can you touch on that? Yeah, so we've talked about um, uh, value as in what, what selling for a good price. We haven't talked about valuation yet. What's the company worth? That's part of my deep dive work. I'll come up, and there are a lot of different valuation methods that you can use because uh, I, th- I think you've got to figure out what makes sense with that specific company, at least what makes sense to you for that specific company. But, but you're updating that number. So Adrian, if this company continues, my value, if I did a good job of selecting a stock, the value I come up with, what the company's worth, you know, their valuation today should be higher tomorrow or or next year, right? Because they are growing. So I will constantly update that, uh, what that target price is. And if it significantly surpasses that price, or if there's something that, that at that point is so much cheaper and I'm you know, at my price for that company or very close to it. So it replaces it. That would be the deciding factor on what to sell. Has, is this mm-hmm. company worth more than I think it's worth versus now, you know, it's worth, it's worth less you know, than I think it is. Would you circle back? And if that company did have the, have another cycle down in price, though, not necessarily a cycle down in their productivity, would you then reconsider them for reincorporation into the mix? Definitely. Uh, definitely would. And that's where earlier the Adrian's question about the time spent and potentially time wasted, that's where that comes into play. Because now you've got a company that you've done your homework on, you've spent weeks and months on in the past, and their prices come down and you can get back in with just, you know, hours of analysis uh, versus days and weeks. Okay. And now you just actually touched on another question I want to follow up with. Um, I actually, I have a question before the question that that touches on the time involved. So you, um, one, I'm not saying this is, uh, I'm not saying this is a better or worse source than other sources, but, but you mentioned sometimes you're delighted to see, for example, um, Berkshire Hathaway step in behind you on a company that you've already owned. And uh, maybe, maybe what they're doing Roshan is looking at your 13 F's and, <laughs> uh, and then they're seeing what, did, what's Roshan adding to his portfolio. And on that basis, then they're, they're going and tracking it down and doing their own due diligence. Do you, I mean, so I'm, I'm joking of course a little bit, but yeah. the point being, you know, investors, good investors can learn from one another and mm-hmm. you, you can see what sorts of decisions that other clearly demonstrably capable, uh, we'll call them gurus for lack of a better word, 
have found is is appealing to them. They won't always agree, but you can see there's if there's yeah. overwhelming consensus that could either perhaps worry you or it could encourage you. Do you use any sort of um, touch points there to see, well, what are other really phenomenal investors identifying as and then I'll give that a look as well. Or do you just say, no, I don't want my thinking clouded with that kind of pollution. So I actually do, you know, what's funny is it's not on my checklist at all. So there, there are two ways I, I'll look at it. One is sometimes that is a source of ideas, uh, but then I'll, I'll do the homework, right? What, what, what's out there. The other way I look at it is I want to look at it after my research is complete. Uh, just because, as you said, I don't want it to cloud my thinking. When that is my source of, um, I still will look at everything objectively. So that's by no means a, a, a shortcut in the analysis. Because there, there's a, a few names, especially last year when the market goes down, where um, there's a guy named uh, Tom Gaynor, a fund manager that has a phenomenal uh, track record. Uh, investing uh, from an investment perspective. And he bought a company. Um, uh, and I like, I, that company had gone down by, uh, I, and it was before he bought it, but that company went down by over 70%. So I'm looking at it like he bought it. It's down 70%. I want to, uh, I want to, uh, I see the opportunity from a price perspective, but I just couldn't quite understand their business model so i ended up ended up not not investing on it at all so i yes i'll use it as an idea and in that specific case the only um source was he bought it was a 13f filing but once once um i i, I would i still want to go back to it at some point and maybe look at it again because i i really truly see an opportunity there but i i just couldn't quite I may never go back because it might be one of those where it's too complicated. So, so the answer is I do look at that, and uh, but I it, it's not it's more another source for ideas than anything else typically. And sometimes, but not always, I'll look at it after my research is done. So now you've you've got your universe narrowed. You've looked at oh, I've already I've already done a deep dive on that company before. So now this is the next one on my list. I've never looked at this company before. What kind of time are you setting aside to really get into the weeds on that company? If you think it might be promising. I have no idea. Uh, it's, oh it's, it's a long time. <laughs> uh, so, okay. uh, and I, I put it that way because just trying to use my time efficiently, I would, mm -hmm. uh, I would try to say, okay, I'll spend X amount of time on this, but you just never know. Sometimes, sometimes you start your research and within, uh, hours in within minutes or even just a couple hours into it you realize it's a no because you just can't figure out the business model you 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 don't feel good about the industry or, or something like that but mm -hmm. when when you go you just don't know what you're going to find right so you pull on a thread and you know what you're going you're going to find if you, if the business model is is uh pretty easy to understand you go in and you can understand management and so on it probably could take just a few days, but I, I even hesitate saying that because it usually takes longer than that. And the, as Adrian mentioned at the beginning, you're not going to end up with something you want to invest in at the end, right? With, with the time spent. So there are definitely times where I'll look at it, research it. I, I like it, uh, but it's too complicated. And I'll make the decision that what the parts of the information I don't get, I don't think I'll ever figure out. So I've got to just move on. So when uh, on those mornings you come into the office and Adrian looks over and and sees you walk in, you're all disheveled. You've got these big bags under your eyes. He goes, OK, I can tell right at just a, at, a, at a glance. Roshan is in research phase or how, how do you how you know, how do you I mean, do you have to concentrate it to get your mind around it or are you able to spread it out? How do you do that? Yeah. So I I found that I definitely need blocks of time hours at a time because if i don't do it that if i literally if it's just one hour and i say okay i've got one hour i might be able to look through my screening tool if i'm looking for a new idea right but once you found mm -hmm. that stock to get into uh, i find if i have just an hour i won't go to to research i'll do something else because 
if I have just an hour, I end up having to repeat what I did later. So it's almost, mm-hmm. it, it, I wouldn't call it a waste of time, but it's not enough time to get traction on what you're looking at because you just don't mm-hmm. know where you're going to go. So I, I need multiple hour stretches uh, to do this. Typically, uh, I like a full day as a starting point, just a full day mm-hmm. for this one company. And you never know, mm-hmm. sometimes in that full day, I'll decide this company won't work pretty quickly. Uh, and then I'll go back to the screen and, and start looking for something else or, or just have another idea. But I found that you know, 20 years ago, I probably was thinking, well, what's the perfect screen to help me find investments uh, to invest in? Whereas now, finding the stocks to deep dive in, it, it's, it's almost unlimited supply, right, of, of where, where to deep dive. And then it's a matter of, where these the screen and the valuation ratios and so on come into play is just well where where am i more likely to find that good idea and then mm-hmm. allocating time to to where the odds are in the favor that you'll find a yes versus a no so uh, so hours and hours devoted to this one company and if you don't if i don't know if it maybe is this simple to represent but just walk us through what you where you start you pick there's you've got this set of documents to to look at which is the one you're you're going to travel to first and what what page you look at the table of contents and then you go to this page what is the the first and then the second and the third sorts of things that you're going to be you're going to be examining in there. And you mentioned, for example, uh, can I understand the business, which it sounds like another Buffett and Munger uh, um, sort of criterion that they, they've they said, if they can't understand the business, they're not interested in owning it. So, Agreed. so, so help us understand what it is that you're going to, you're going to go through and look for. Okay. I'm going to read to you these categories. Uh, so this isn't where uh, I'm looking. This is what I'm looking for and mm-hmm. ask you if you think we should just continue this on another episode, which oh, would man, be my I checklist. I would love to continue this on another episode. I think this would be a great episode. So I'll read your... you the, the high levels, uh, the, the, the categories, uh, and then we can discuss it. But they're broad. But the first is I want to know the business. I want to know the management what could go wrong i want to know the the price that's my value my valuation uh side of of things i um i, I am i comfortable holding this for a minimum of two years i want to hold it longer uh or like i said ideally hold forever and a minimum of two years why am i right and the market is wrong um then what percent should i buy uh and I have my minimums and maximum, and then under that is, well, why am I not buying the maximum? And then under that, I have a catch-all category that says notes, and that will be, Mm -hmm. as I'm researching this, more questions will come into play, and I'll go through that. At the very end of this, I have um, from a book I'd read, and I've got to revisit what the title of that is, but they have what they called a business management and price checklist. I have that checklist at the bottom. I don't necessarily use that too deep. It's just something I'll, I'll look at to, to make sure. So someone else's checklist that I just like to see on there as well that I will visit sometimes and just as completing my research. Did I miss anything? I use that checklist as a backup. Now, Adrian in the past has talked about technical indicators and, and uh, do, do you have any sort of technical in technical indicator element to your analysis not exactly i say not exactly because i will look at some of the the technical indicators but that won't be um that won't that won't stop me from from buying or not or, or not like that i look at it but i wouldn't say that's necessarily an input in there like if i if a company i like is selling cheap and it's a good business and the technicals don't look great i'll i'll still uh buy it just because i don't want to miss the opportunity it could turn around tomorrow mm-hmm. on, on the uh, so i'll buy if the technicals don't look bad if the technicals look good it'll make me feel a little warm and fuzzy about that move but it won't be a deciding <laughs> factor so with all of this, you mentioned the notes. Are then you keeping a journal talking about your your reasoning and being able to then go back and look at, well, once upon a time, here was my reasoning process about getting this. That worked out. 
here's here's another entry where this is my reasoning process. It didn't work out. What? Wh- how could I have improved my thinking? Obviously, nothing. Not everything is inside our control. It's not entirely. There's randomness. Yes. But but you know enough at bats you start to see what sorts of things are are useful and which ones are less so. Do you do any sort of journaling and then reviewing of your journal about these selections? I do. And I for will. that matter, maybe even what you exclude. Okay, yeah, you do. I I, def- I definitely do, and they can add or expand to this list if I find if I find something. I've tried mm-hmm. to narrow it down. I had an investment checklist at one point that was like eighty different items, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, and it was so much in there where I felt like it wasn't helpful in the sense that you're not thinking through some of these questions. You're just checking the box with the question. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and some of them, so these, these questions and these things that I'm looking at now, I've intentionally made a little bit broad, which will allow me to go into what, where those 80 items are, but mm-hmm. it's not forcing me to check a box on the list of 80 just to check the box. Mm-hmm. So I, I have um, had that huge list, but yeah, I will look at it. You, you learn more when things go the wrong way than when they go the right way. Cause let, let's be honest, sometimes it can go your way just cause the markets went up or you got mm-hmm. lucky. Like I mentioned that stock mm-hmm. last year, a few times that I could have just missed. I mean, I had no idea there being there, there, that anyone's looking at buying them. I just thought they were selling cheap and I was planning to hold them for the long term. That's pure luck. As I, as I mentioned earlier, if I had just run my screen six weeks later or didn't choose them, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when you, when you're wrong, there's, it's not bad luck. Something went wrong. Right. And I guess you could say there, there are definitely factors you can't control, but mm-hmm. I'll go deep into that and say, okay, what, what was, uh, what was the issue here? Man, I still got so many questions and I know, uh, so I want to, if we're going to do another episode, I'll try to save some of these questions. You tell me if you want to answer this question now or save it to the next episode. But but I, I would really love to hear you kind of walk us through your the mindset. Maybe you even get an annual report or something of that of a company. And without necessarily naming that company, uh, just kind of walk us through what you're thinking. Or, or, or I don't know if you'd be open to that. But here's, be, my, here's my would you be open to that? Well, well, you know what we can do? We'll do next week. I'll go through this checklist and the criteria, and then mm-hmm. I will pull up a companies that, I, that I've done already, and I'll just mm-hmm. read what my thoughts were into that business. Oh, so I, I would love that. Yeah, I'm definitely going through uh, their uh, – I, I used to start with the annual report, and now I start with the transcripts just because mm-hmm. I find that the, the – when I say transcripts, they're, they're – um, quarterly earnings report transcripts. So I start with that before I go into the annual and the quarterly reports because I found that I can more quickly eliminate companies that way. If you right? look at the transcripts of the If of I look the at the transcript, I'll look at the transcript, I'll read what they're what they're saying and then I will find that um I'll just I can so what I'm looking for is a reason to eliminate. Right? And then mm-hmm. what I'm eventually ending up with are companies that I could not find a reason to eliminate. And I'm doing that because there's so much out there. So I found that with the core, and that that's also uh, managing time, right? Uh, to yeah. to where I can find those good ideas. I found that some those quarterly reports, uh, uh, those quarterly earnings calls, excuse me, will be a faster place to eliminate a company. And going through the annual reports will take more time, right? Mm-hmm. So I tend to do that uh, do that uh, later versus earlier in the process now. So maybe well, uh, this was one that isn't quite so uh, related then to the the issue of walking through the the earnings transcript, earnings call transcript, and so forth. So let me just ask this: Does your process, either by design or by effective outcome, um, lead you to concentrate the the finds that final that meet your final criteria? Do they concentrate in one or another broad uh, segment of the economy. So, for example, you, we talk about stocks generally, uh, or industries generally, being um, categorized as defensive, cyclical, or or sensitive. Do you find that you you tend compared at least maybe to the the breadth of all companies out there in their market capitalization? Do you t- tend to find that the ones that meet your meet your screens 
concentrate in one or the other of those, or is it well diversified? No, they don't seem to concentrate. It tends to be more diversified. What happens is what's going on in the current market environment uh, Mm -hmm. will have more names. Like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, a lot of home home related builders, steel, that kind of thing showing up. Now that'll happen in, in the screens, but that's not a that's not those industries aren't a constant. It's what's going on in the markets at the time. Mm-hmm. So do you reach a point where you go, man, I just found this uh this this incredible Schwinn. Um it's this new bike. It's you know, this incredible Schwinn. And unfortunately, now I've got to say to this trek that I've loved so much, there's just no more room for you. There's no longer room for you in the garage. I've got to ask you to, I got to put you on Facebook Marketplace and sell you off so I can make room for the Schwinn. How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, if, if I find a better opportunity, you know, I, I will replace something that's, that's there if I think it's, Mm -hmm. if if I think it's better. So if, uh, if I found company, a and then a competitor and I and I research it and I like it and I buy it. Then company B that's their main competitor shows up on my screen and I research it and I think company's better B is better than A. I'll either do one of two things, depending on the position size it is, I'll either replace it or entirely or partly and have a basket in that space mm-hmm. of multiple multiple companies. Now I try to limit the size of that basket in terms of the percentage of the portfolio, but I will look at, so in your example of the Trek versus the Schwinn, well, is there, is there room in my garage for both? And I'll ride one, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the other Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, mm-hmm. take Sundays so off or put some bike hooks up there on the top of those, the garage ceiling, and you'll just make room for more. If I can, or if the garage is full and I've got to pick one or the other, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and make that call. Hmm. Well, interesting. Yeah. Tell me any other questions. We started on screening, went a little bit deep dive on the companies, and we will come back to this uh, checklist at a future date. Are there any other questions at all? I don't have any others. Adrian? I'm all set. Thanks for sharing all that, Roshan. You're very welcome. All right. So, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. As you can see, we have... uh, a fascination in a lot of topics, but lately our episodes have been a lot around economy, markets, and uh, investment approaches. So looks like because we get to do part two of this, one of my favorite things, uh, we're going to stay tuned for another one possibly next week. But we ask you, if you haven't already done so, to go to your podcast app or if you're watching us on YouTube, to go ahead and subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, but you haven't rated us, then go to the next level. And not we're talking about more than a thumbs up. If you can find the, the, the way to just give us a little bit of feedback and allow other potential people to discover the show, we'd be really grateful. That will help us with our mission here, which is first and foremost, to provide what we consider to be distinctively good, deeper, um, more substantive education around a variety of retirement-related topics. I know there. Are, uh, this is no way to dissuade you from listening to other shows where there's a more basic approach. But as you can see, in our case, we're, we're more attuned to uh, giving a more deep dive on a number of these subjects. And so if that's if you find that valuable and you want to help other people discover that value as opposed to just another show that's really at, at the basic level only, we, we just it would strongly ask you to go ahead and review the show and tell people about us and we'll go from there. If you want to look at our catalog and you're not already familiar with this, we have a website. It's retirementlifestyleshow.com. You can go there and go up to the top, the all episodes tab. You can search by subject matter or by participants or whatever the case might be. And it'll bring up all the episodes from the past that have any bearing on that. There's quite a library there, a lot of material there, and we hope you'll, you'll love it. So for that, Gentlemen, anything you want to add? Uh, back, All right. back next week. Back next week. Thanks so much for listening. This is another episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show.
Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.